0: 22, 1 23. Now, the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them, how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. In these 23 verses, it opens, and that verse 23, the last part, closes with this reference to Judas. You know, it's not clear why Judas did what he did. The speculation is that he was disappointed that Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans or do something more dramatic, you know, seems like Judas came from a background of the zealots and so on. And so whatever the reason was, there was a desire or a tendency in his heart, in him to do something different than what Jesus was doing. Something was already at work in him. And once he gives into that, Bible says, Jesus, pardon me. Bible says, Satan entered, into Judas, it's a very, you know, uh, I mean, it's just three line, the three words. Jesus, uh, <laughs> Satan entered Judas. It's just three words, but the but the impact of that should be very significant. That, you know, it's very easy for us to be spending time in good things. Judas was a man who was with Jesus, not with somebody else not with a teacher not with you know a good person not with uh, Mary the mother of Jesus he was with Jesus he was with Jesus for three years and yet he was willing for his heart to be led astray it's not because you're sitting in church it's not because you read the Bible it's not because even you claim that you know Jesus that things will be okay There's a need for us to say, Lord, guard my heart. Preserve me in you. That's on you, Lord. In and of myself, my heart is prone to wander. My temptations, my desires, my carnality can lead me astray. But Lord, hold me in you. Hold me in you. So that as, as, and we're going to come to this portion in, in, in the next week, so that, when Satan comes, he won't be able to get me. Jesus said of Satan, he comes, but he has nothing in me. Satan had nothing that he could put his hook into in Jesus, but he had something that he could put his hook into in Judas. And so Judas agrees to betray Jesus. You know, It's a sobering thought. It's one that should cause us to say, Lord God, let me not be like Peter who says, oh, I will never betray you. Help me to come to you and to trust you and to rely on you and to look to you and to depend on you and to say, oh, Lord God, you keep me. You hold me. Let my heart be held in your hand, not in mine. Let me be preserved in you. All right? So let's look at this What Jesus institutes here. There are only two ceremonies, two rituals that Jesus commanded the church to perform. Two things that he ordained, and therefore we refer to them as two ordinances of the church. One, to be baptized in water, and two, to observe the Lord's Supper. That's it. Those are the two ordinances that he gave And we considered water baptism when we studied Luke chapter three and we looked at Jesus' own baptism. And we saw that the mode of baptism was through immersion, baptizo, the Greek word there. The timing was following the conversion, following conversion, as an expression of faith in Jesus. And that's why it's referred to as the believer's baptism. And our participation or choosing to be baptized is voluntary internal, and spiritual. There's a significance and meaning to that. We covered that at that time. But at that time, we also said that based on Paul's exposition in Romans 6, 1 through 14, and other scriptures, we saw that prior to the cross, as part of the old covenant, John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples administered a baptism for the repentance of forgiveness, or a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. After the cross, based on the new covenant, baptism represents dying to self. The old man is put to death. We are buried with Christ and then being raised up from the dead to live a new life in Christ Jesus, him living in us. That's what baptism is representing. This morning, we're considering the second of those two ordinances, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was to be observed or is to be observed repeatedly throughout our Christian lives as a sign of continuing in fellowship with Christ and the body of Christ, which is the church. So which brings us to this first point. The Lord's Supper is the fellowship of all believers. Now let me make this point. A right adherence... And an understanding and having sound doctrine about the Lord's Supper is vitally important. The bread and the wine, or the bread and the juice as we would have it, they do not change in substance and become the body and blood of the Lord. This is a concept called transubstantiation. The body and blood of the Lord don't coexist with the bread and with the wine. That's a top a theme or an idea called consubstantiation. It is very clear from the word that the bread and the juice, the wine, are symbols that represent the sacrifice of the Lord, the offering of his body and his blood for our sins. Okay? So if you have any questions on that, or if you don't understand what that means and where that is, by all means, raise it. We'll deal with it in the Q&A session too, as we have in one of the other previous sessions. But here's the critical point I want to make about what the Lord's Supper means for all of us collectively in the body of Christ. When you get baptized, you make an individual decision and you take an individual action. It is a declaration to the world public declaration that we belong to the body of Christ, that you belong to the body of Christ, right? You're saying, I'm joining to the body of Christ. When you participate in the Lord's Supper, you are in communion with the Lord and with your fellow believers. It's a joint action. It's not just an individual action. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ And it's not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. So our participation in communion in the Lord's Supper, it is a pledge of ongoing faithfulness to the body of Christ. You're saying that you value your brother and your sister, that you want to fellowship with them, and that you're committed to them. That's actually what we're declaring when we come and participate in the Lord's Supper that way. That's what Jesus was instituting. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Paul writes, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And usually what we talk about, and this is correct, but, it's, but usually what we talk about is we say, oh, examine yourself with regard to your sin. But look at what the next verse says. For those who eat and drink, meaning participate in the Lord's Supper, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. What's Paul pointing out? When you come and participate in the Lord's Supper, make sure that you discern your brothers and sisters, that you know who they are, what's going on with them, and what your relationship with them is, In even as you pay attention to your relationship with God. So, His warning, I mean that's Paul's warning there, that if you don't discern the body of Christ, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And his warning there, and in verses 17 through 22 of that same chapter, and the very reason that he even writes to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper, because he says you guys are doing something wrong. You're coming together for the Lord's Supper and you're preferential treatment for the people that are there. And some of you are eating other food or eating food and just sort of and indulging. And some of you are drinking wine and getting drunk. And so he's bringing a word of correction to them to say, when you participate in the Lord's Supper, here's what you must do. You must come together with your brother and your sister. You must discern the body of Christ. You must know what you're doing as you fellowship here with me when you have communion with God and communion with each other that's a that's the big part we tend to focus of course on the and rightly focus on all that the lord has done for us in cleansing us and how his blood and, his, and has been shed for our sins but this is an absolutely important part of what we do you know in fact in matthew chapter 5 verses 23 to 24 it says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and right there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. It's not a specific reference to the Lord's Supper, but you understand the concept in Mark, similar kind of thing. And when you stand praying, Mark eleven twenty-five. when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So when we come together in the Lord's Supper, we need to come and participate in a way that allows us to be in communion with our brothers and our sisters. It is very ironic then that instead of uniting in communion, many times in the church we have divided over how often we should have communion, who should administer it, when should it be administered, and judging whether somebody is worthy to participate or not we have divided on these things rather than united in the lord's supper and so we have an opportunity in participating in the lord's supper to join with our brothers and our sisters in unity of worship in receiving the same forgiveness of sins as they are we're coming we're coming to the cross together and the, and the ground is level there. It's not that person is more sinful than me. They need the communion. They, they definitely need to participate. You know? No, no, we come together and we say, Lord, we are equally, equally needing to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to be received in you. And we come to the Lord and we are able to worship together. We come to him and celebrate together the grace of God that has been poured to us. That has been given to us. Not because we were deserving of it. Not because we merited it. But jointly we can say. Oh when I come to that table. And I celebrate. And I participate. Oh thank God that we're both. We're all forgiven. Thank God that we've all received his grace. Multiplied to us. And given in such a wonderful way. That we have life. And that we have it more abundantly. So. Praise God. That the Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity, provides for us an opportunity to fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, to come together in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's Supper also reminds us of the past. You know, in, um, in Luke chapter 22, what we just read in verse 19, it says... Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus uses these elements, these this body and the wine, uh, this bread and the wine, to instruct us about the cross. He's he's preparing he, now clearly it's not his literal body. He hasn't given died, right? But he's pointing to the cross. He's using these simple elements, common elements, elements of the meal to show that his broken body and his spilled blood is for us, is for our benefit. And Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant, of the new covenant, of the covenant for you, with you. Vivid image. He's bringing to us, and he's declaring, I'm bringing to you, through my death, the benefits of the new covenant. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, all those hundreds of years before Jesus, the word says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The promised new covenant is here. Jesus institutes, Jesus initiates that new covenant with his coming. He says, the kingdom of God is here. I'm here. And God forgives us through this new covenant. It has the better priest, not the high priest of the Old Testament that was offering the sacrifices, but then had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. But it has the better priest, the one who was without sin, who was able to offer the perfect blood sacrifice of his, own, of his own blood so that we may be cleansed and be renewed and be forgiven. The blood of the sacrifice and the better sacrifice, the better high priest and the better sacrifice, allows us now to be saved. We're not held in bondage to our sin. We're not any longer condemned. We've been brought into new life. We've been brought into this new relationship, this new covenant. It is a joy. It's a privilege for us. And so this new covenant, in that, we have been given this in the observance of the Lord's Supper. And just as we saw in the book of Joshua and in other scriptures, where God institutes memorials, this Jesus in this Lord's Supper is instituting a memorial to the new covenant. He's saying, I'm establishing, I'm giving you this new covenant. I'm I'm fulfilling this new covenant. I'm going to be going to the cross in just a little bit here and shedding my blood for your sake. And this Lord's Supper is a memorial to you. It is to remind you of what I have done. What I have accomplished in the past right? For, for each one of us. For the disciples, of course, at that point, he's, he's telling them about something that's about to happen. But in a very few days after that, it became an event of the past for them too. That we would say, oh God, for because of what you have done, I can stand today in the present and enjoy this life and enjoy this, this gift, this new covenant. This relationship, this blessing. Oh, that's, 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 those are shouting words. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, oh, we remember what the Lord has done for us. We remember how he has instituted this as a memorial for us. And so every single time when he says every time, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The Bible is filled with these kinds of references to remember, to remember, to tell your children so that they may remember, to tell you know generations after you and that generations later they will say remember what the Lord has done. Remember. Why do we keep account? Why do we give testimonies in the church? Why do we say, oh, this is what God, because, you know, 10 years from now we want someone to remember the Lord was good. The Lord did this. He was faithful. He established his covenant, and he was faithful to keep it. And look at what he has done in my life. Oh, praise God. So we thank God for what he has done. There is a wonderful blessing and grace in the new covenant. And I want you to notice one phrase. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, giving it to them, saying, this is my body. What is the broken body that Jesus is referring to? If you look in Luke chapter 20, when we talked about Luke chapter 20, verse 18 in particular, we said we talked about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the stone that the builders had rejected. And then he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom the stone falls will be crushed. And we went through what that means and why he says that and so on. So in that reference, we're looking at Jesus who spoke of himself as the stone that breaks others. Now here he says his body is being broken. Clearly, he wasn't being literal because his body wasn't broken physically. When he went to the cross with all the suffering that he's enduring, in fact, the Bible says He couldn't even be recognized, meaning his image was marred with all of the the blood and and the whips and the whipping and everything and the torture that he undergoes. But the Bible also makes clear to us, especially as you read in John chapter 19, that not a single bone of his body was broken. And if you read in Exodus chapter 12, 43 and 46, Numbers chapter 9, verse 12, Psalm 34, verse 20. It speaks specifically about the Passover lamb. And it says, bring that Passover lamb without blemish, without any, anything that is at fault in that, in that lamb, and do not break any of its bones. The Passover lamb's bones were not to be broken. It was to be offered whole as a sacrifice before God. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes whole. It was a common practice, and we'll see this when we get to the, I'll refer to this again when we talk about the crucifixion. It was a common practice for the Romans to break the legs of of the people who had been crucified. You know why? Because the, those who were crucified would push up on their leg to breathe, they're, on their legs. I mean, they're, they're nailed down, they're, they're hanging like this, it's very difficult to breathe, and they would push on their legs up to be able to even get a breath. So when you break the leg, they can't do that. They can't breathe, and they would die sooner. The Bible says that when they came to Jesus and were looking to break his legs, they were surprised that he was already dead and did not break his bones. So Jesus is not speaking about his literal crucifixion when he says, you know, my body is broken for you. So how should we understand what was broken for us? What, how his body was broken for us? More than 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, more than 700 years before Jesus suffered and bore all these things and talks about this, More than 700 years before Jesus says in the Lord's Supper, this is my body broken for you. In Isaiah chapter 53, this is what the Bible says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, and made intercession for the transgressors. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're accepting, we're believing that the entire suffering and death of Christ was for us. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, we see with our eyes and we participate in that physical bread and that cup, and we know for certain that there was a physical body on that cross, That Jesus Christ became a real human being and poured out his blood for our sake was broken so that we could not, we do not need to suffer this, this punishment, this this eventuality of sin. And as surely as we have seen that he has forgiven us, cleansed us, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, our sins, our sins are exposed, and then they're cleansed. We have this opportunity to participate in these ways. So as we participate in the Lord's Supper, our hope that one day we will live with Christ is made more certain. But here's the thing I want to point out to you this morning. When Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, he knows that we live in a broken world. He knows that we live amongst broken people. He knows that we break. Things affect us. Things break us. We come to God many times because of our own sin with a broken heart. A broken and a contrite heart. But Jesus, who says, this is my body, broken for you, knew all of that. He took all those iniquities on himself. He took all those sins on himself. He took all of our transgressions on himself. So when he says, this is my body broken for you, he's saying, I know, I know, I know. I understand. I know that you are living where you are and you're living how you are, but I have given my life for you. So praise God. Thank God that Jesus' body was broken for us. Thank God that he understands our brokenness. Thank God that because of what Jesus did in the past, our present has been transformed. Thank God that we don't have to remain broken. We don't have to remain in our transgression. We don't have to remain in our sin. We don't have to remain in our iniquity. Thank God that he paid the price to restore us and to give us a hope and a future. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the past, and the Lord's Supper prepares us for the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we participate, we're saying, oh God, I thank you for what you did. I thank you for your death. But I thank you that this is confirmation. This is affirmation. This is my confidence that you will return. That you're coming back for me as part of the bride of Christ, as part of the body of Christ. Oh God, thank you. We look forward with great anticipation. Every time we participate, we're saying, oh, God, thank you. The greatest hope we have for the future is that one day Jesus will return and that we will be joined with him for eternity. greatest hope we have is that Jesus will be joining us to him. He's preparing us. And did you notice that when Jesus speaks of that, he anticipates another meal. He anticipates, oh, that Lord's Supper with him. He says that we will, that he will not drink this cup again until he comes, until he consummates the kingdom of God, until he comes in the coming kingdom with his people. He says that we can look forward to that. He says, "I, I, I won't, I won't drink of this wine. I won't the fruit of this wine until." I celebrate this with you in the coming kingdom. So every time you participate in the Lord's Supper, you can look forward and say, oh, there's another meal coming. You know, you go to a good restaurant, you have a good meal, and you say, oh, next week again, I'm going to come back. And you look forward to it, or you order food from there. And you say, oh, I remember the last meal that I had there. Oh, I'm looking forward to eating there. Maybe already you're thinking of lunch today. And you're thinking, I know what I'm going to have today. I remember what I had last week or the last time from that place. It was great. I'm looking forward to it. But you know what? When we participate in the Lord's Supper, oh, what a joy. What a what a what a thrill that we would say, oh God, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that next meal. I'm looking forward to being with you in eternity. What a joy. Oh, I mean, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, with all these truths, oh, just just bubbling up inside us. Oh, isn't it great? You have three more weeks. Prepare, prepare. (laughs) Just be prepared. The next time we come together in the Lord's Supper, oh, what a joy, what a privilege, what a blessing. We are looking forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb when the entire church is gathered together to boast in that great saving work of Christ Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 9 we read of this great multitude gathered together from all the nations of the world from all time gathered together to celebrate this Lord's Supper, that we will rejoice and exalt with Him in glory. Oh, praise God! What a thought, what great anticipation. And so, this morning, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you that you respond by receiving the body and blood of the Lord. Oh, He said, Here, this is for you, and it wasn't just for those 12 disciples. It wasn't just for a select few, because later on, like we read in in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is explaining to the Corinthians, Paul says, for I am telling you what I received from the Lord. Was Paul there in that Last Supper, in that upper room? No, he was not. In fact, at that point in time, if he hadn't already started it, he was persecuting Christians. He was against Christians. He was against Jesus. He says, Jesus has shown to me what I am sharing with you. That means when Jesus spoke to Paul, Jesus felt that this this communion was so important that he would have to tell Paul about it and say, make sure to tell others. Make sure to have them participate. Make sure that there's the fellowship of the believers, that you are discerning the body of Christ. And so when Paul speaks of these things, he says, He says, Oh, what I received, I'm passing on to you, that the Lord has given us his body and his blood. We receive it. We participate in it. We say, oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this morning, I want to challenge you that you would apply this word that I'm speaking to you and the word that we've heard before from Luke 3. To obey the Lord's ordinances. That you would truly obey these two ordinances of the Lord. That you would be obeying his command for baptism. And you would obey his command for the Lord's Supper. That you would participate knowing what it is. And the truth behind it. And the, and the power behind it. And the glory behind it. That you would participate in both. Now let me make this one point if you are unable to join with others in the body of Christ, the Bible doesn't restrict you from participating at home. Your family, go ahead. If you're by yourself, go ahead. Do it. The Bible doesn't require somebody else to administer it. We do it as a practice and as a way to come together and to be led and so on. If, you, if you're led of the Lord or if you feel that need and you say, oh, God, I want to participate. Oh, Lord, I'm just reminded of, your, of the Lord's Supper. Go ahead, participate. Do it. Because what he wants to accomplish through it, what he's doing in our lives through it is more important than whether there's 20 people or not. And so participate. Obey the Lord's commands. Be engaged in every single way. Let the Lord's supper, what he instituted for us more than 2,000 years ago. Oh, let it be a joy in your life. Let it be strength and encouragement. Let it be a reminder of the past and hope for the future. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are kind to us. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much, so much, that you gave your life for us, that you broke, that your body was broken and your blood was shed, every last drop for our sake. You didn't hold anything back. You gave it all for us. And because you took the punishment of our sins, because you took the iniquity, because you took that, the, the Lord, the, the result of that transgression, you took it all on yourself. You were crushed. You were broken for our sakes. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for that. Father, I thank you that it's not up to us. It's not our good behavior. It's not our diligent practice of rituals or anything else. It's not our, Lord, what we can do or think or say, it's in our loving you and obeying you because of our love for you. It's in our recognizing how much you have loved us. It's in our coming to you and saying, Jesus, we gladly, we, we gladly and gratefully receive your body and your blood. Oh,